Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 233 of the Quickie Podcast. I'm your host, Dave Hopkins. Thanks so much for spending some time here. Today on the show, my guest is Trench Brady. He's a production designer and an experiential designer, and he has created some incredible things. Now, let me just give you a little, a little bit of insight into some of the stuff that he's worked for. He has worked for Disney. He's done work for Hasbro, done work for Wizards of the Coast, all around creating experiences and environments, whether that's a trade show, whether that's a specialty sort of showcase room or a a store experience, all of these sort of things. He designs these and creates the elements for these, these experiences. Such an exciting episode. I'm so happy to share this with you. During this episode, we get into how he had a completely non-creative childhood, not even like a dash of creativity, not interested whatsoever. But there was a couple of things that really turned him on to design. There was a theater show and a specific magazine that really lit the design fire for him. He tells us what that is in this episode. He also shares with us a story about the Hasbro booth that he was a part of creating, a specialty showroom that he created for Wizards of the Coast, like I mentioned earlier. And um, then a sort of a weird situation where he received a very bizarre threat. Um, a threat in sort of the, I don't even know how to really describe this. It was strange. And that turned a, a job that he was a part of completely on its head for, you know, seven months, maybe a little bit longer than that even. Um, He shares that story with us in this episode. Then he tells us about the two projects that he was a part of that he is so incredibly proud of and why. That and so much more in this episode, including a bit of a deep dive into a Disney project he was a part of where a little bit of outside of the box thinking really brought it together under what was a pretty tight budget for what they were looking to create. Okay, that's enough for me. Ladies and gentlemen, let's get right to it. My guest today, Mr. Trench Brady. Here we go. Welcome to the Quickie Podcast, the daily interview show where we talk to graphic designers about their journey to the creative field, and we do it in 30 minutes or less. So, are you ready for a Quickie? Trench Brady, welcome to the Quickie Podcast. How are you, sir? It's great to be here. Thank you. Awesome. Well, I'm super happy to have you. But first, before we get too far into this, are you ready for a quickie? Uh, for you, I'm ready for a longie. Uh, you <laughs> Which know, has been known to happen on this show. You know, it's like uh, the first time I heard, are you ready for a quickie was like, or the quickie thing was on a, a movie, Love at First Bite from the 70s. <laughs> and uh, George Hamilton as Count Dracula, you know, goes no for you i will do a longy you know and no it, way uh, yeah i have not seen it that's hilarious <laughs> no, it, it's a it's kind of like in the same family as like airplane movies only okay. it's you know count dracula in the 70s you know dancing disco that is funny okay we'll add that to the obscure list of movies that i have to watch 
So let's kick this off by just you briefly telling the listeners about yourself, Trench. Uh, I am currently the senior production designer at Talent Technology. Uh, I've been doing dimensional design, whether it be packaging or scenery or showrooms or events or exhibits for 30 something years. Nice. Uh, I, something I always wanted to do. And even when I started, wanted to do when I found out what it was. But even when I started, I got my BFA in theater design because I thought that was the most applicable to doing lots of different things as opposed to being specifically graphic or specifically you know, product design. Mm -hmm. And uh, that background has really, really served me well. Awesome. Through all of these unique journeys. And we'll get into that a little bit later, but you've worked with a very wide variety and diverse amount of clients from toy companies to luxury jewelers to, you know, painting scenery for some customers. Like it's, it's a pretty wide variety of skill sets there. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. I remember having like a whole wardrobe of just paint clothes for years. Uh, <laughs> you just have like half your wardrobe is like just spattered in paint. Yeah. And yeah, that's the whatever doesn't matter part of the wardrobe. And then you've got like the clean stuff on the other side of the closet. Yeah, and that section keeps getting smaller. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> so, Trench, I want to start this again by kicking it back in time here. I want to ask you about your childhood. Do you feel that you had a creative childhood that sort of pointed you down this career path? Not at all. Not a clue. It was uh, not creative at all. Dad's a fireman. Mom was a medical secretary uh, living in suburban Long Island. Not a clue. Uh, not even, I mean, it was like, you know, not even the, not even totally interested in crayons, nothing. <laughs> uh, it wasn't until I got to college that it hooked in. And there I was basically getting a degree in chemistry for like three years. And after yeah. year three, it was like, do you think you could do this for the rest of your life? And I was like, I don't think so. <laughs> uh, so you were so you were pursuing the more academic direction, and even to the point where you put three years in in college in a chemistry direction before you went. Something's not right here. This isn't feeling right. Oh yeah, I was honestly, I'm really, really good at it. It's just you know, there's stuff that you're good at, and there's stuff you yeah. like, and you yeah. got to make sure what you're good at you like. Yeah, and I was like, okay, I'm really good at this, but do I really like it? And, and up to that point, it you know, the difference between academic and like the real world, mm -hmm. like academic, I had really great teachers and, you know, and then when you start doing practical real things, you realize it's like, oh, um, you're going to be locked in a lab by yourself. And can you, you know, do that? It was like, is that what you want? Yeah. And it was like, uh, no, actually, I realized I needed to be with people doing things and being interactive and mm -hmm. so so why what pointed you to design what was the moment where you went maybe there's something there you know at the, after that three years of chemistry why why design why not kinesiology why not um psychology why not one of those directions why design what pointed you to design well i mean i'd done some you know high school acting stuff and so yeah. i was at the theater department getting you know your extra credits yeah. there and basically they had a show and it was a design show and 
they would create up these little vignettes and it would have like a costume and the props and the scenic painting and the lighting and they would back back it with some music and they had like five or six different vignettes set up and you know one was for like south pacific and one was romeo and juliet one was uh dracula and they were like these little vignettes really told the story without telling the story it was like this whole little world that they created mm -hmm. in like maybe a 10 by 10 space in each little section of this black spot theater and it was really intriguing knowing that you know you could design something and include sound and include clothing and include scenery and painting etc and graphics uh, mm -hmm. and that was really intriguing and i really liked it and so I said, okay, I'm going to start working at that. Uh, I switched to, from that school, which was science school, to University of North Carolina School of the Arts. Okay. And uh, I barely, barely, barely got in there. Like I got interviewed and they put me on the wait list and put me on the wait list. And like 10 days before the session start, I guess somebody dropped out. And they let me in. And actually, when I think of it now, I'm surprised. I'm thinking the only reason why they let me in is probably because I was an out-of-state student and I had to pay more tuition. <laughs> uh, it was like, I, I'm going, I have no idea because the rest of my class is really, really, they were really, they are really talented people. I'm going, mm -hmm. I took one art class and I, they're letting me in. I have no idea why. Yeah. That few hundred extra bucks looked pretty good on the. Oh yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> That's funny. So it's funny how a decision like that can really change the trajectory of somebody's life. Oh, and it's, it's totally scary. How it was like, like I said, it was like ten days before, and I was still planning to finish up my chemistry degree. Yeah, unreal. Unreal. So that little change, that that theater show really just sort of opened your eyes to what's possible in the world of design. And you enjoyed that experience so much that it motivated you to change directions with your major and say, you know what, this is not the right spot. Let's go into this arts area and, and see where it takes me. Oh, yeah. Uh, and I don't think I've, I don't, I haven't regretted it at all. It's yeah. like, it's, it's just been awesome. Uh, even the bad times are good. Even the bad times are better than sitting in a lab. <laughs> there you go. And you exchanged your lab coats for paint clothes. Oh, yeah. Uh, but I love it. Awesome. So, Trench, I want to ask you then, what has been the most influential design of your life so far? Something that you saw and it has just stuck with you since you saw it? Uh, probably... I took a while to think about this one and basically one is maybe five years old, four years old. Mm -hmm. uh, I came across a copy of national geographic. Yeah. Uh, and uh, my godmother, she had basically all the national geographics lined up in the, in, in the bookcase. Yeah. With, you with know, yep. The yellow spine. Yeah. And there was one edition which is August 1963, which was the Disneyland edition. Okay. And there's a fold out in the middle of it that shows you the Disneyland map. 
And it was, you know, the drawing type. So, you know, they would have a little drawing of the castle and a drawing of, you know, the cars from the auto speedway and the clock drawing, you know, and it was like, and then the rest of it was like the pictures, et cetera. And it was like, yeah. I was totally, I couldn't read. So I was totally <laughs> intrigued with the pictures of how they were taking this drawing of say the castle or, the, and then they'd show you the picture of what it was in real life. Mm -hmm. And it was, you know, to me, mind blowing. It's like, Hey, here's fantasy it looked like a, you know, an illustration from a storybook. And mm -hmm. then here's the real life. And here are a bunch of people, you know, living it. Yeah. And the funny thing is like 10 years later or maybe 12, whatever, I finally go to Disney world with my folks. And I'm probably more interested, you know, you run to Space Mountain, you do all that stuff. And I'm probably more interested in like all the design of down Main Street. Yeah. Like all the windows have all individual names. Uh, they're trying to make a full story. Like, and you have to realize it's not a real place. It's all make believe. And someone had to make it up. Yeah. Someone had to design that. Somebody had to create that vision. Somebody had to follow through on the implementation of that vision on exactly in line with the story, the story that they wanted to create, the feeling, the environment they wanted to create. Right. And that, and the idea that it had a story made it feel more real than mm -hmm. it would have if it didn't. So I'm really starting to see these little connection points in the alignment with why you have had such an explosive career in experiential design, because when you're describing these little influential moments and what pointed you to design, it's not like you saw the golden rule and you were like, this is it. And it's not like you, you came across a logo and you're like, I want to do logos. You had these experiences that showed and connected the dots from an idea, an illustration, a drawing to a real environment that you could experience. And those are what really lit your design fire and why you pursued that. That's what I'm getting out of this here. Oh yeah. It's all about creating that, you know, Disney world experience with yeah. lots of different messages with lots of different ways of doing it. Uh, but you know, I mean, honestly, you get to create a whole world. It's uh, unbelievable. You know, and what's, you know, and sometimes it's, you know, I've had ones that have, lasted for years and I have ones that lasted for hours mm -hmm. and you know, that's really kind of cool. You know, have, do something and like, I go, Oh, it's been there and it's still standing or to do it like this. It's like, Oh, well, you know, it was a three hour party. Okay. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, I want to know, ask Trench, who are some of the designers and brands that you currently look up to and closely follow and what about them do you like? Uh, okay. There's David Rockwell from the Rockwell group, uh, who, you know, basically is trained as an architect, but do you know who he is? No, I have to look that one okay. up. Okay. David Rockwell, Rockwell group started first. They, they got, they grew basically in the eighties and nineties designing the planet Hollywoods. Okay. Uh, but now he does a lot of different hospitality, but he also did design uh, Hairspray on Broadway or the Rocky Horror Picture Show or She Loves Me. Mm -hmm. uh, he does product design. Uh, you know, and even the the hospitality design, it doesn't have to be that really funky, 
planet Hollywood, it, some of it's incredibly elegant. Some of it mm -hmm. is, you know, international looking. Uh, you know, it's like as an architect, he was supposed to be put in a box and he said, I don't want to be in a box. <laughs> uh, you know, and then there's uh, Mike Bell is a great illustrator out of England. He just illustrates, uh, you know, environments. Uh, Tad Carpenter is a great illustra uh, illustrator out of Kansas mm -hmm. City. Uh, has that kind of mid '60s design, graphic design. So it looks like uh, Mary Blair. Do you know Mary Blair? No, I have to look that one up too. Uh, Mary Blair was the designer of It's a Small World. Okay. Uh, uh, you know, and then Derek McLean, who designed like the Oscars, like, I guess like six times, but also designed Moulin Rouge and like Gigi on Broadway. Yeah. Uh, you know, who else is it? And then there are the people I follow just because I like the way they think, like Chris Doe mm -hmm. or uh, Blair Ennis because they look at design and say, you know what? Uh, design is a business. So treat it like a business. And once I started thinking like that, mm -hmm. it became easier to, to talk to everyone in the industry because, you know, I'm the only designer and everyone else isn't. Mm -hmm. And once you understand, it's like, oh, they don't understand what you're talking about. So you can't say about, you know, multiple focuses or talk about, you know, atmosphere perspective. They have no idea. No. But if you talk about, you know, I can increase your sales by making this more, more appealing, yes. or I can make this part of your branding, they kind of get it. Yeah. Uh, you know, and they treat you a whole lot better. You know, lots of times designers get treated like the airheads, like, oh, they're just <laughs> kind of like dreamy and they do, oh, you know, and you're always off put up to the side. And if you talk their same language, you're going to, be much closer to the center of the action. Yeah. So they're going to not make the decisions before you get brought on. Yeah. Yeah. Great advice. Great point. But, uh, and then brands, obviously Disney, but uh, Ikea, mm -hmm. Target, Marks and Spencer out of England. You know, the first time I went to England, I went to, for some reason, went to Marks and Spencer. Have you ever, I know, have you been to Ark? No, I haven't, haven't been to England yet. Uh, okay. It's a kind of a, combination jc penny so it's got clothing but also has a food hall okay so but the food when you go to the food hall they design all their food so they might only have one ketchup or one baked beans but the packaging is exquisite yeah <laughs> and because they don't have to compete with anyone else they don't shout they just make it incredibly elegant so because if you go to marks and spencer you're only going to get marks and spencer ketchup yeah, it's elegant ketchup. Right. So everything they do, <laughs> everything they do is elegant. So when you go shopping there, it's like this is the most elegant, most coordinated, most designed shopping supermarket experience I've ever had. Mm -hmm. You know, because everything coordinates. It's like one statement, one point yeah. of view. That's a great one. So you must every time you look, you you walk into any store of any kind. You must be like looking at everything with this eye of the experience, like how in really taking almost a step out of the situation and looking around to see what am I experiencing in this environment? What am I getting from this environment? Oh, yeah. Uh, one of the things I always remember reading one of the 
design books for designing theme parks mm -hmm. was whenever you do a theme park experience, you have to look at it three levels, you know, the far shot, the medium shot and the close up. Mm -hmm. And think of it in retail. It's like, what do you think of when you think of retail? You think of the entire, you know, shopping space. Mm -hmm. Then you think of the department. Then you think of the individual item. Yes, the product. Yeah. Right. So it's like, how are those levels working together? Interesting. I like that. I'm gonna now. I'm gonna be stuck with that curse of walking into places and and looking at that three level view. Right. And basically, all that comes from is from doing movies. Yep. where they look at the long shot, the medium shot, and the close-up. Well, think of the world as a movie. That's awesome. The world feels like a movie right now. Right. Somebody's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, cream. Yeah, exactly. So, Trench, before I get into some of the tough questions, I wanted to do a little Instagram storytelling. So I'm going to pull up a couple of posts here on your Instagram. And I want to ask you sort of just what, so what's the little story or the information behind the post? So let me just open this up, add this in here. Can you see the screen okay? Oh, sure. Awesome. So let's open up this one. Let's start with this one. This looks like a faraway view of a Hasbro interactive booth. Tell me oh, about yeah. this. Uh, Hasbro was going to a consumer, not a consumer, a electronic show. Yeah, that's in Olympia Court in England. Okay. And... Basically, whenever you're doing something, you want to stand out. And in this case, we were fortunate enough to be able to see the show floor or visit the show floor six months before they were doing that show. Oh, cool. And everyone else was all white. Really? Everyone was white. They all wanted to be the Apple store. <laughs> it was like everyone's white. Everyone's like, you know muted colors etc and it was like well how do you stand out well it's like if everyone's white don't go white yeah and uh so it was like terrific just explode with color and the truth is is the rest of the the, the shell of the booth it's just a a rental frame so think of it as just you know hasbro doesn't own anything except the graphics are on the, attached to the front mm -hmm. so it's a minimal cost with a big impact because you're basically renting all the structure and yeah. you're just cladding it in your graphics. Wow. So in, in the sea of like white and muted colors, you have this massive pops and wall, full walls of orange and purple, um, you know, standing out amongst the crowd. Oh yeah. It, and you know, even then it was still within their quote branding. So the idea yeah. of looking, you know, cool and bright and playful without being too childlike, was okay. Yeah. Uh, you know, because Hasbro Interactive would go anything from their preschool, which is, you know, preschool line to, you know, young adult yeah. to, you know, family game night. So it's like, okay, it can't be, it can't look like a place playground, Yeah, but it doesn't have to be white. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. Let's get a, let's get another one here. Um, this one really jumped out at me right away. And a lot because, you know, they're local, but this looks like a sort of a storefront or a specialty store for Wizards of the Coast. Tell me about this. Uh, that was in the toy building for Wizards of the Coast. It was their showroom. And uh, basically we went to the two figures on the right and left 
our architectural salvage that basically got uh, gold leafed because it felt right. Yeah. So you could pull that together. Uh, it was a basically a very simple showroom because all you had to do is just do a couple of key pieces and then let the rest of it stand by itself. Yeah. So what what's going on in like the center signage there? Are these like are those salvage pieces like that are involved in the sign? No, actually, the big arc. Yeah. Uh, the big arc was something we decided to use as a graphic framing element. And if you, I don't know if it's on the Instagram, but we used the same arc in their trade show booth. So there was a consistency. Cool. Uh, that stood out no matter whatever they were doing for the trade show. So if, mm -hmm. if, a, if a buyer was going to the booth, they would see the same graphic elements as they saw in the showroom. That's cool. Awesome. I love that. And those are two, you know, well-known brands out there where you've created these, these environments, these experiences for them. Yeah. Uh, it was pretty, you had to make sure it was flexible because even after the, the uh, New York show for toy fair, yeah, they would do lots of smaller shows. So the booth had to break apart into from a 40 by 40 to a 10 by 20. Then they would do the, uh, what was it the publishing show in Chicago? Mm -hmm. it had to totally get reconfigured because it was a different market, yeah, as opposed to toys. So it was like publishing. So it was like the Barnes and Noble kind of place where they would sell them. Uh, you know, with this kind of stuff, it's like once you invest in a key piece, make it flexible. Yeah, yeah. You so know? it can flex and mold to the different shows and slightly different audiences. Exactly. So like those yeah. columns, the 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 columns got used all the time because you just put them anywhere and they made a statement. Yeah. You know, put them in That's the corner cool. of a room, right. Put them in the corner of a room, put them to the left, right. Doesn't make a difference, but yeah. they do say wizards. That's cool. Yeah, they do. Okay. That's great. Um, Trench, I have to get into a couple of tough questions. Now we, I yeah. got to ask you a couple of questions that are going to take you to part of your career where you've likely made some mistakes, learned some lessons. And I want to pull those stories out and share those with the listeners. After that, we'll turn it around and we'll finish up in a happy place. Okay. So what has been the most challenging period of time in your design career so far? Why was that challenging and how did you get through that? Uh, I had been working at a design firm for four years. I had moved up the ranks, uh, was now the senior production designer. So I had like three designers working underneath me mm -hmm. and we're doing this major sh showroom. Uh, the person, the event manager for the show, she had just been promoted to that position. She, mm -hmm. boss left and she got promoted. So she was not a new kid on the block. She knew how the show went. Uh, weekend to, and it was to do the whole setup was about a six, seven month period. Okay. She came to the office. We went to a private office, me, her and the boss. And she said, I want to kick back. And mm -hmm. it was like, but you work for the company. That's your job to, she was like, no, I want I think I deserve more money. And if you're going to be the designers, I want $40,000. <laughs> I want to put it in a uh, 
basically a cash account. So you put the money in, I get the credit, I get the debit card, I take it out. There's no tracing of it. Uh, what? I, oh yeah, oh yeah. It was she wanted totally, totally hidden, or she was like, "I'm going to make your life hell." Uh, the problem was, week later we went to the CEO of the company. And we said, your event manager wants a kickback. And he goes, do you have any proof? And we're like, we've worked with you for eight years. And he goes, well, if you don't have any proof, she's on my team and I believe her. So for the next seven months, she made my life hell. Uh, she wanted irrational reports. That it was like, why do you need a report on this? You can see it's set up in the room. Well, I need a report written. She, you know, wasted time, wasted, etc. Uh, and then even after the whole show was done and it went pretty well, you know, on budget, on time, everyone was happy. She insisted that the all the books get audited, and I got audited for six weeks, and the project was 1.2 million dollars. Uh, we were off by $6.11. <laughs> it took six weeks of auditing every single environment. It was hell. And uh, that was the last time we ever worked because what she did was she basically, back in the home office, was like, there must be something wrong. They're getting audited, et cetera. Uh, she hired her own firm for the next show. And that was the last we ever heard of them, except we found out that basically she was let go from the company a year later, basically for embezzling. Good heavens. Uh, so so was, somebody wanting to take advantage of a situation for their own benefit. Um, oh, totally. Yeah. And when it didn't go their way, they stomped their feet and made your life hell. Uh, yeah. But, you know, in the end, honestly, I mean, she was the, event manager, but all the product managers, they all had a great show. They had great design. Um, I kind of had to act as a buffer between her and my designers and the production mm -hmm. people. Mm -hmm. So I guess all the wrath came to me, but that was okay because everyone else didn't get it. And the funny thing is the more angry she got, you know, she would get annoyed and she would, I would start talking slower and lower and it would drive her even nuts <laughs> so you just start you starting to see this and feel this and be like you know what i'm just gonna give her just gonna razz her up a little bit here no no she would say you know the schedule would say something would be done by you know the first and it'd be like the 20 22nd she goes i need it done by 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 the 25th i'd be like well no it's scheduled for the first if you want it by the 25th, it'll mean over time. Do you want to authorize additional funds? No, no, I still need it. Done. It's like, well, if you don't have additional funds, you can't have it by the 25th. The original schedule set the first. And she just didn't understand that she couldn't get me upset. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Because you just be like, that's all it is. That's the fact. And... The other thing is obviously, you know, if, if you want to put, you know, anything that had to be a major change that affected money, yeah. obviously you'd have the paper trail. So it's like, please, I'll give you the costs. 
I'll give you the paperwork. You just have to sign that you know that you're authorizing the over budget for something that nobody wants except you. <laughs> Wild. Um, okay, so she gets kicked out of the company and life gets peaceful again. Well, by that time, she had already gone through a year with another design firm that was giving her kickbacks. Yeah. Uh, but it just got too wild. And then eventually, the the event manager after that, uh, a very nice lady, uh, I spoke with her and said, hey, would you consider? And she was like, you know what? I came in after all this, and I don't know anything about anything. But I, she goes, I, I have to be honest. I just want anyone that has been involved with it, good, bad, or indifferent, I just don't want to deal with it. Yeah. So she came up with her. And I, I mean, I, I respected her for being that honest and saying, look, I don't know whether you were good. I don't know whether you were bad. You were, I wasn't there. Yeah. So I just want to flesh. My job is to make this go smooth. I just need a fresh slate. Yeah. And she picked her own designers and I'm sure they did a great job, et cetera. Um, but I really appreciate that she was honest enough to say, you know what? I can't make a judgment call. And yeah. Uh, I have to move on. Yeah, definitely. That's nice coming in, setting, you know, a clean slate and sort of establishing her own opinions as projects go forward. Exactly, which was a yeah. smart thing for her to do. I get it. Definitely. Okay, Trench, I want to get a little bit more specific on this one. Um, take me to a specific design or project that you were a part of that did not go well or bring the desired result. What What was that like? How did that feel? Uh, actually, in this case, it it was the end result was it felt very empowering. Um, we got a call on a Thursday morning, a frantic call, uh, going from this lady saying, "I need a trade show booth in a week." <laughs> and I was like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa!" It's like, and I speak with her and, and say, "Okay, how did you find us, etc." He goes, "Well, I've been." calling designers down a list and you were the first one that actually answered the phone. <laughs> and uh, she goes, other people call, but they wanted to have meetings in a week or two. And it's like, I need this in a week. And it was like, well, why do you need this in a week? Uh, and it, what she was doing for a trade show, there was nothing that was radically different. It wasn't, she was asking for anything crazy, but it was mm -hmm. like, you want it in a week. Uh, I go, and it was because she, they had hired a new boss and he wanted to, they had a show that was coming up in six weeks, but there was another opportunity for another show in a week. And he signed on for this show <laughs> and said, well, I'll, I need it immediately. And I was like, okay. So I said, look, I could do something for you in a week. Probably not. You will not get a booth in a week. There's just no way. Yeah. But I will talk to you. Can you schedule a meeting tomorrow morning with your boss, et cetera? She goes, yes. Okay. Schedule the meeting. Meanwhile, I call up a bunch of shops seeing what's available, what's their capabilities, et cetera. Yeah. You know, and I maybe I've been working with five or six different shops. Three of them had space, a print shop, et cetera. It's like, okay. And like I said, her requirements were really straightforward. It's like, I need a conference room. I need a meeting area. It was like, okay, very logical. Yeah. So I go into the meeting the next morning and say, okay, the plan is we could do a rented shell scheme, customize these graphics, 
buy some custom elements for this one show. Mm -hmm. And then for the show that you have coming up six weeks later, we can build the rest of the booth, use the elements we've already invested in. And that way you have a show, but, but the shell scheme for the first show is going to be rented. And mm -hmm. then the next one will be yours. Yeah. And the boss went ballistic. He was mm -hmm. like, I told you I wanted to own the booth. Renting stuff is a waste of money. I don't know why you can't do what I want. And I tried to explain. It's like, it's one week. You know, today's Friday. It's loading in the next Friday. And he starts ranting and going, I'm not wasting money. It's like, you're not wasting money. Whatever we buy, you will be able to use. We're just doing it, except he just would not listen. So I, basically, I just got up and walked out. Yeah. Um, you know, and then you get in the get in the car and the phone's ringing. And it's the woman who called me initially. She goes, well, what 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 am I going to do? What am I going to do? And it's like. <laughs> I was like, look, she goes, can you come back and do this? I'm like going, um, look, if your boss calls me up, I will uh, I will come back in. But I'm not going to design around his back. I'm not going to promise something I know that can't be delivered. Yeah, for I sure. Mean, I called six I called six shops. It's like it's not going to be possible. It does not yeah. exist. She goes, what am I going to do? I said, look, uh, my best advice is, if you can't get him to call back, and it was attitude, I knew he wasn't going to call back. <laughs> I said, look, call the show organizers, you know, get a shell scheme. Yeah. They'll probably get you that, you know, it's five days out. They probably still haven't loaded the truck. They probably still have it. At the very least, you will not be sitting there on cardboard boxes. <laughs> yes. Um, but that's all I can do because – he doesn't want to listen to anybody and that's, I'm sorry. And it felt good knowing that I could walk away. You know, I'd like to help her, but sometimes they're not helpable. You know, they're in their own way. I have been in those situations where a customer is making a demand that just as much as I want to do it and as much as I want to help, it literally is just not possible. And walking away from that situation rather than saying, okay, let's do it for you, knowing that the chances that you're going to let them down is 99% because it's just something that's not possible, but they keep forcing you to say yes. It, it, that feeling of walking away is incredibly empowering where you just immediately take 10,000 pounds of stress that you would have been putting on your shoulders and just sidestep it just a little bit. So it just like passes you by. Oh yeah. It was like, you know, like you said, it was like, you know, being released from a vice grip. It was like, wow, yes. this is so good. Yeah. Nobody wants to do design feeling like you're in a vice grip. It's like, no. you want to be heading towards it, not running away from it. Yeah. Um, and especially you know, I mean, I had another project and it was the same kind of thing. And the client agreed and said, you're the expert, do it. Yeah. And it was like, okay, that was fine. And yes. they got exactly what they wanted. They got a good value, good design because they listened. And they said, look, we do this, you do that. Mm -hmm. We go to you because we trust you know what you're doing. 
Yeah, it feels good when that happens. It's it's empowering and gives you sort of full permission to do your best work. Right. Uh, but in this case, he wasn't going to do it. And that's wasn't my problem. Jeez. <laughs> okay, let's turn this around. Um, Trench, I want to hear about a project now that you've been a part of that you are the most proud of, one that just makes your heart sing. Well, okay, I'm going to make them fast because they're, two of them because they both have two different aspects. Okay. Okay. I was freelancing and I was on retainer at Port Marion Group, which is a China company. Okay. And they wanted someone in the US. They're based in the UK, mm -hmm. but they wanted somebody who could do artwork in the US because clients wanted really fast turnaround. So like if Macy's wanted something changed, they wanted to see the change like immediately. Yeah. And if you wait for the design to come back from England to be like, five weeks later. And they're like, Macy's will not wait five weeks. Yeah. Uh, so it was on retainer and I was doing touch up work, etc. And the marketing manager, Wendy Malik, she came in and said, I need you. It was the 75th anniversary of like their premier Christmas plate, yeah. which is Bode Christmas tree. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's 75th anniversary, their premier line. And up to that point, they always do like a variation on the, tree dish every year yeah for 20 years uh and going i need you to design something up it's like well how come this is being designed in england it's like well they designed it in england but macy's and bed bath beyond everybody they all hated it <laughs> oh no i was like going, okay and she goes i i i can't communicate them they maybe they don't understand american sensibilities whatever but i just i can't wait can you design it? It's like, okay, uh, how much time? And she goes, oh, you have a week. Oh God, a week again. <laughs> uh, so it's like, okay. So now luckily I'd been before that, I'd done work for Disney licensing. So I knew how that all worked. And I looked at what they've been doing and they had done licensed. They always added like a licensed item to their design. Okay. And it always looked like it was pasted together. It was like, so, you know, like they would put like an amaryllis leaf and mm -hmm. it was like the reds don't match. And it was like, okay. why? So, or the candy canes didn't match. It was like, it was just, I was like, has anyone worked with the original design and like reinterpreted it? They're like, no. So I took the original design and the original design was from 1939. So there were no digital files. I had to scan everything. I had to, you know, physically go with the pen and match everything up uh, and basically digitally put the files together from these 1939 designs. And wow. then once the design was put together, then I start breaking it apart, put it, broke it apart. Um, and because I wasn't paying a licensing fee, which do you know anything about licensing? Mm -hmm. Right. So back then it was, it was like per piece. And so you could pay anywhere like between three to 9% of the overall cost. And because I was saving the licensing fee, because I wasn't using licensing art, I was making it up. I had extra money in the budget. So I added gold to the process uh, because it was there, even though 75th is diamond, I've made it a gold pattern. Mm -hmm. And for uh, China, have you ever done China or anything like that? No. Okay. It works a lot like print 
basically it is a print. Then just think of a piece of paper. Okay. All you do is print a piece of paper, put it on the dish like a decal, and then burn it. Oh, okay. Okay, so the ink stays on the dish and the paper goes away. Yeah. So anything you've learned from print, you could bring into dinnerware. Oh, and cool. The only odd thing is because it goes through this burning process, the proofs, all the colors are different because the burning process shifts all the inks. Mm -hmm. So like browns will become cherry reds. So when you look at the proof, you have to like, it took me forever because I'm color matching because like you can't just visually look at it. No. It looks really. So did the pattern, did it in the week, turned it around. Macy's loved it. Bed Bath Beyond loved it. Everyone loved it. Uh, it's totally sold out. Uh, not only that, but it was only supposed to be a year thing. Uh, it's now on year eight. Wow. So, so now they're, and usually it was just the dish. And they said, oh, I made it because it was a design. I made a whole, and because I was used to licensing, I did the whole licensing thing of where the colors go and how to break it apart and how to use as a border, how to use as an edging. How do you, so they put it on all the other dishes. So you have the dishes and the platters and the servers and the cups and the, so I'm guessing now after eight years, my estimate is now there's probably 800,000 pieces with that pattern. Wow. Uh, you know, and it's still selling. And because they don't have any licensing, it's, it's all profit. <laughs> That's awesome. They're like, oh, it's profit. They, uh, you know, which, and considering, honestly, though, even though I'd done design before, that was the first piece I ever had produced. Yeah. So to have the first piece ever I produced hit it out of the park. Uh, that's with, a good feeling because before that I had done designs for Disney because we've done the Disney's licensing show and Disney licensing when you work with them they wanted me to do fantasy designs because um, they wanted people to take their licensing designs and be as creative as possible mm -hmm. and so they definitely the one thing at Disney is they don't want you to do is they don't want you to slap a Mickey on it they want you to have him coming out of the pocket. They want to have him, you know, pulling down your shirt collar. They want it to be clever design. They want it to be cute. They want it to be within yeah. brand, but they want it to be slightly different than just slapping a logo on it. Yeah. Uh, so uh, that design was hit out of the park. The other thing is, like I said, a couple of years earlier, Disney licensing asked us to do their show. Okay. Uh, and had the meetings, et cetera, and they finally tell us what the budget is. And the licensing show now takes place in Las Vegas, but before then, Disney did its own licensing show in Disney World. Okay. And they would invite everyone. So it was basically the only, they were the only vendor. That was it. Uh, had the meetings, et cetera, and they finally tell us what the budget is. And it's astronomically small. <laughs> okay something you weren't expecting from disney uh no no for everything they were asking for it was i'm guessing it was about probably one-fifth of what it should have been wow um so we're totally like freaking out yeah what do you what and basically before this they had always gone to other vendors that basically owned shops and they would basically donate the stuff to disney 
because it was like a good portfolio piece. So yeah. And because we were just a design shop, we didn't have physical assets to donate to them. Yes. Um, so basically we had a meeting or because we're down Disney world, we went to the concierge desk <laughs> at the contemporary hotel, really nice people. Mm -hmm. And we're going, what do you do for your events? And they're like going, Oh, well, there's, a, there's a party planning division. So, which was, you know, a couple miles on property, go over there, meet with them. And there's, they have like a pretty good size shop. It's like, Oh, so can you follow these drawings? It's like, yes. It's like, Oh, you could build this. They go, can you build this? They're like, no, not really. You know, but the parade shop probably could. Where's, <laughs> where, where's the parade shop? It's like, Oh, it's over here. So go over to the parade shop and go to the, show them their drawings. They're like, Oh yeah, we could build that. Oh, uh, and they go. So, so the idea starts popping up. It's like, oh my god, we'll have Disney build their own show. So, the party planning did all the painting. The parade shop did the fabrication. We had the lighting designer from Epcot do the lighting. Yeah. Uh, all the costumes, all the clothing were done by the costume department because there were, I think, forty thousand outfits that had to be shown. So they took care of it. Everyone who does all the window displays in um, Main Street mm -hmm. did all the displays. Uh, we got it in at budget by using each of the different departments of Disney that never worked together before. Wow. Um, and after that, they were like, gee, we can really do something big. It's like, yeah, if you pull from here and here and here. <laughs> uh, and they were thrilled because none of them ever really worked outside of the departments they were always in. So yeah. parades only did parades. So all of a sudden they actually got, you know, a mini road show where they got to go over the contemporary hotel. And so it's like, every, and because the show takes place in August, mm -hmm. basically the park is at its max. Yeah. So, so nobody can really do any big work. So they were all sitting around totaling their thumbs anyway. And I'll tell you this, the internal billing, the costs are so low. That, like I said, it multiplied the budget by five. Wow. See, that's, you know, that's so common that you hear that about a giant company or, con or conglomerate of businesses like Disney, you know, not even realizing their own assets within their own departments and, and where to connect those dots to create some really unique things. You know, it, it's always interesting hearing that about really large companies. Yeah, not only that, but, mm -hmm. but they were all once you told them they were really really wanted to do it yeah. you know they, they were like almost fighting over themselves of i want to do that yeah 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 that's cool that's and, such a great one bringing bringing the whole team together so trench you've reached reached the point of the show here for the ask it forward question this is where i have a question for you for my last guest and you get the opportunity to ask a question of my next guest i'm not going to tell you who they are but you can ask them anything Yep. So my last guest was Melissa Halke. She works for the American Institute of Chemical Engineers, which actually she does a lot of experiential design and event design. So it's sort of interesting alignment there. Um, she wanted to ask you, what is your advice for a new design professional or a recent grad who's just entering and getting into the design world? Uh, let's see. Uh 
Uh, there's so much. Uh, <laughs> so, so, you know, everything. Uh, okay. One piece, your best piece. Best piece. Talk to people. Say what you mean. Just yep. communicate. Uh, you know, if there's something you want to do, if there's something you think that's wrong, something you think that's right, people aren't mind readers. If you no. can talk to them, uh, you know, if you think something's going wrong, say something's going wrong. I mean, mm -hmm. even if you're a junior, say it. Uh, you know, that's when I was young. That's probably the worst thing I ever did was keep quiet. Keep quiet. You know, you know. Yeah. Yeah, such a great piece to speak up and communicate and and sort of become somebody who who stands for something, has an opinion on things, and not obviously not in a negative, overpowering way, but providing feedback and participation within within a team in a creative office. It's awesome. Either that or the other the other advice is photograph everything. <laughs> yeah, which I think is pretty easy these days. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so Trench, what is your ask it forward question for my next guest? Okay. All of us, none of us get to where we are without help, mm -hmm. you know, whether it be advice or teaching or someone giving you an opportunity. Mm -hmm. Okay. Who would you thank for one of those things for advice or opportunity, something that made a difference in your career, who you have not thanked? Mm, I like that. You know, who would you thank? for advice or an opportunity that you got that you haven't thanked yet. Yeah. I mean, uh, there are people I would thank or have thanked and, you know, I'm so glad I have, uh, you know, stuff that they've done in the past and they're still affecting my lives now. That's awesome. Trench, that's a great question. That's the first time that's been asked on the show. So I'm looking forward to asking that of the next guest. And sir, you've reached the end of the Quickie Podcast. Thank you so much for being my guest today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you for doing this for everybody. All right. That is the end of today's episode. What a story. Thank you so much, Trench, for being my guest today. If you're digging what you're hearing here on the Quickie Podcast, head over to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you are listening, and please leave a rating and a review. You know why. Because they bring smiles, and that's a good thing. Thanks again, and we'll see you next week.